0: Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from several places in scripture, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18, we'll read the verses 15 through 22. Uh, All of the scripture readings this afternoon are in connection with the theme of the sermon, which is the gift of prophecy. Uh, So we'll see what Scripture teaches us concerning this gift. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him." But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, "How, how may we know the word that the Lord has?" has that, excuse me. How may, how, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord. If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So far from Deuteronomy, let's turn now to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll read first the verses 1 through 11 and then verses 27 through 31. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, you were led. who apportions to each one individually as He wills. We'll jump forward now to verse 27 and finish that chapter. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. So far from 1 Corinthians, and then finally we'll read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 119, stanzas 13 through uh, 15. The week in the uh, afternoon service, we go through the Heidelberg Catechism that teaches us the doctrine of the Word of God. Uh, this week, we've uh, arrived in Lord's Day 20, and we've been camping out here for just a couple or three uh, weeks to, to deal, Lord's Day 20 deals with the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, and in uh, these three sermons, last week, this week, or two weeks ago, this week and next, uh, we'll be looking particularly at the gifts of the Spirit and what Scripture teaches concerning these things. Uh, so our, our text is, is the uh, same readings of God's Word that we have just read well, brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this then makes the second week in our little mini-series on the spiritual gifts, uh, particularly those gifts associated with Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked uh, in detail at the gift of tongues. Uh, we, we examined what that gift actually was. Uh, speaking in in real human languages, we we emphasized then, and we also looked at why that gift was given in that particular age. Now, one of the the important conclusions that we came to, which we'll revisit also this afternoon, uh, is that the Spirit gives different gifts in different times in the church's history according to the needs of the church. That's Uh, That very principle was emphasized in the readings we just had. God apportions gifts according to the needs of the church that it might grow to maturity. Uh, And and what that means is that if the Spirit gives us different gifts in our ages than were given in other ages, uh, that is not something we ought to be insecure about. Uh, The charge uh, that is laid by some that... If your church does not possess all the gifts that are seen in the New Testament, then your church is missing something or deficient in the Holy Spirit is not a charge that stands on Scripture because Scripture teaches, no, the Spirit gives gifts sovereignly according to the needs of the church. Uh, we, We live in a different chapter in this mission of the church, and the Spirit gives us the gifts we need in our time. Uh, having said that, then this afternoon, we want to focus particularly on the gift of prophecy. Uh, the gift of prophecy in our data is Probably not get as much attention as the gift of tongues. Uh, The gift of tongues is perhaps more intriguing and and interesting. Uh, But it's very important that we understand this gift and understand in particular the purpose that this gift served in the church. Uh, This is also important so that we can answer the question of uh, should the church still expect to see the gift of prophecy uh, in use today? Uh, now most of us will be familiar with the concept of prophecy particularly uh, as we know it in the Old Testament prophets. Even in our uh, study of First and Second Kings we've seen a great deal of prophets. Uh, Elijah, Elisha uh, and many other prophets. In addition to that, we also know of many prophets who wrote the scriptures of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, and and all of the other books of the prophets that we call the the minor prophets. Uh, So we we come at this with some understanding already of of the gift of prophecy. Uh, The prophets were men and sometimes women. There are several examples of of women prophets, uh, Miriam, uh, Deborah, Huldah the prophetess, and a number of others. Uh, So there there were men and and women who had received a unique prophetic calling from the Lord and, and received revelation, direct revelation from the Lord, and therefore also, here's a key point, spoke in the name and authority of the Lord. That's what a prophet was. They spoke under God's authority. Uh, now, for that reason, the Old Testament draw, draws a very sharp distinction between true and false prophets. Uh, true prophets were called by God, equipped with the Spirit, uh, and spoke with God's authority the very words of God. Uh, but for every good thing that God does, Satan is quick to produce a counterfeit. Uh, and so we also find no shortage of false prophets In the Old Testament, men and women who, for various reasons, claimed for themselves the title of prophet, but were not called, uh, did not receive revelation from God, and did not speak the words of God. Uh, That distinction is clearly drawn in the Old Testament. Uh, Concerning those who were true prophets of God... We may say that when they prophesied, they spoke the very words of God and spoke them with the authority of God. In other words, they were able to say, thus says the Lord. Now, that's a unique uh, introduction that, that only a prophet can, can make to his words. Uh, God was speaking through them such that every word they spoke was true and trustworthy. Uh, so, for example, Peter... Uh, in the New Testament, writing and looking back on, on the Old Testament, uh, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, so the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to them, enlightened them, and also guided them even as they searched the Scriptures uh, and and expounded upon those, those scriptures. Uh, now, we may be familiar enough with the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, but most of us are probably a lot less familiar with the prophets of the New Testament. Uh, there are several uh, that are mentioned, in, in fact, quite a few. Uh, some before Pentecost. Uh, Anna, the prophetess, uh, is, is one example. Uh, and then there are a, a great many that show up after Pentecost. Uh, Several of them are mentioned by name. Uh, Silas, for example, is is described in Acts as one who was a prophet. Uh, He he is the man who co-authored several of the epistles of Paul. Uh, There's a man named Judas Barsabbas who was a prophet in the church. Uh, The daughters of a man named Philip the Evangelist are described as prophets during that, that age. Uh, a certain man named Agabus tends to come up again and again in the book of Acts uh, and and there are several others that are mentioned by name now we don't we don't know them so well as we know the prophets of of the Old Testament perhaps because they don't have books uh, attached to to their names we don't have you know the book of agabus uh, for example in in our bibles uh, so they're not so well known to us but clearly prophecy was a feature of the new testament church uh, and it uh, along with other gifts like like speaking in tongues, healings, and, and miracles. Uh, the, in fact, the two often came together as evidence of the Holy Spirit. Prophesying and speaking in tongues, or prophesying and miracles, were seen as evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. Uh, so, for, uh, just for example, in Acts 8, Uh, A a number of Gentile believers are baptized, uh, and they receive the Spirit and begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. And and that's received by the apostles as evidence that that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Likewise, in in the text we read a couple weeks ago from from 1 Corinthians 14, uh, it's very clear that prophesying was one of the things that was happening in the New Testament church. Uh, indeed, this is exactly what Peter himself said would happen on the day of Pentecost. As he, as he quotes Joel, too, he says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and, and they will uh, prophesy. Men, women, young, and old would prophesy. Uh, so, one thing is, is very clear it's clear that this gift was present in the New Testament church. That leaves us then with the question, is it something we should still expect to see in the church today? Well, in in answer to that, in the first place, it should be emphasized, as we did last time with the gift of tongues, that no matter how one might answer that question, whether or not we feel the church should still have prophecy, it certainly is not a gift that we can fabricate for ourselves. It's a very important point. We cannot simply conclude, well, this gift ought to be present in the church, so we're going to make it happen. It doesn't work that way. It's a gift from from God. It's something God sovereignly gives, not something the church uh, takes for or, or produces for itself. So even if if one were to conclude, well, there ought to be prophecy in the church, uh, that person would still have to wait for God's sovereign giving of that gift. It is a, a very serious offense for anyone to claim the title of prophet if they're not called by God uh, to be that prophet. Uh, and, and that kind of abuse is condemned in Scripture, Old and New Testament, in very, very strong terms. Uh, It's not something to be taken lightly. Uh, With that being said then, in order for us to answer this question and determine whether or not this is a gift that should uh, be be seen in the church, uh, we must, as we did with the gift of tongues, examine what was it there for? What was the purpose of the gift of prophecy? Uh, That will help us to determine whether it is something meant for all ages or for that time alone now we've we already saw with the gift of tongues uh, that that gift uh, belonged primarily to that age to the new testament age uh, and and in its very purpose is less relevant to our age uh, even though uh, of course god could do that again there's nothing stopping god from doing that we have no reason to believe that god does uh, or that the church needs that gift today Another example of this sort of gift, to to illustrate this principle, is the gift of apostleship. Uh, We read about that in in 1 Corinthians 12, also in Ephesians 4. Uh, Christ appointed apostles for that age, apostles like Peter, Paul, and and others. And the church agrees, almost universally, that that the, the apostles were called for that specific age, And Christ is not still sending apostles to the church today. Uh, It's an office we don't have in the church because we rightly understand the times that we live in. Uh, Apostleship had a unique purpose in that time that it doesn't have in ours. Uh, They were called to establish the church, to write the scriptures. Well, the church is established, the scriptures are written, that office is no longer needed. Uh, so we want to start then by asking, what purpose did the gift of prophecy serve in that age? Uh, we can answer that in, in, on, on two levels. In the first place, it's very clear that the gift of prophecy served to show the Spirit's presence in, in the newborn Christian church. Uh, that, that function is very clear in, in the book of Acts. Uh, it's mentioned in the prophecy of Joel. Uh, the sign that the Spirit is poured out is the people prophesying. Uh, that, that's the very force of, of Joel chapter 2. Uh, so certainly that, it served that purpose, to, to show the evidence of the Spirit's presence. But the gift of prophecy had another also very important function. And for that, we want to look more closely at the, the text we read from Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that when Christ ascended uh, I'm reading here from let me uh, make sure I cite the verse uh, in verse 10 and following. Uh, Paul says that when ephesians excuse me, when Christ ascended, he gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, uh, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, So, all of these offices that Paul mentions, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, are all given with one purpose, uh, and that is to equip the saints and build up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, which he describes as mature manhood. Now, that unity of faith and that mature manhood, you might, as you read that, you might think that's something we have not yet attained, that's something that's still coming on the final day. Uh, but that cannot be what Paul means. Uh, and the reason we know that is because he says it's the sort of mature manhood that keeps you from being tossed to and fro by the winds and waves of every false doctrine. Well, on the final day when Christ returns, there will be no winds and waves of, of false doctrine. Uh, so Paul is not talking about that perfection, but he is talking about a certain state of maturity that the church is working Towards for which Christ gave these different offices. Now, some of you perhaps are already thinking along these lines. Well, some of those offices still exist today: uh, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Those are those are things that uh, offices that still exist today. One of those offices we would certainly agree has passed away: that of apostles. So that only leaves one left, and that is the office of prophets. What do we make of that office? Well, to answer that, then, we have to ask the question, what did these different offices, what function did they provide? Uh, Paul says that uh, their overall purpose is to attain maturity. uh, And so we can break it down by asking this, which one of those offices were needed to reach maturity? And which one is needed to continue in that maturity? Uh, clearly, apostles would belong to that first category. Uh, to, for the church to reach that stage where it's no longer infantile. It is established, uh, particularly in having the Scriptures written. Uh, An authoritative voice was needed to proclaim the Christian truth over against every other error, and then to set that truth down in Scripture. That was the call of the apostles, needed to reach the point of of maturity. Uh, So we can recognize apostles then are Categorically different than these other final three offices, uh, shepherds, evangelists, and and teachers. Uh, They they are categorically different because they are commissioned by Christ and spoke with divine authority, an absolute, unquestionable authority. Uh, That's very different than evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. evangelists will preach the scriptures. Uh, Shepherds will shepherd according to the scriptures. Teachers will teach the scriptures, but apostles would write the scriptures. That's very different. It's a different category of calling. With that in mind then, we can ask what about prophets? Uh, What category would prophets fit into? Are, Are they those that... Reveal the words of God, or are those that are they those that preach the already revealed word of God? Well, the answer to that is is quite clear. Prophets are called to reveal the word of God uh, together with the apostles. They belong in that category of having that unique calling uh, to reveal the word of God for the establishment of. The church. Uh, They spoke with an uh, authoritative voice. They were able to say, Thus says the Lord, uh, without needing to refer to Scripture. Uh, So prophets played that critical role in building or in laying the foundations of the church. Uh, And that should help us to answer the question do we still need prophets today? you can answer that by asking, does the church need a new foundation laid still today? Well, the answer to that is, is no. That foundation has been laid. Uh, the, the church does not need new prophets year after year in order to build on that foundation. That's what, uh, that's what shepherds, prof, uh, shepherds, evangelists, and teachers are given for. We can see this even more clearly if we look at Ephesians 2, chapter 20. I'd like to ask you to turn to to that text. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, we'll begin in verse 19, just so we start at the beginning of the sentence. Ephesians 2, there Paul says, So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen to what Paul is saying there. The unique calling of apostles and prophets uh, is to lay the foundation on which the church will subsequently build. Uh, Christ, of course, is the cornerstone, but then the apostles and prophets built the foundations of the church on that cornerstone, and, and all the other offices are to build upon that foundation. Uh, that, that is a very unique role belonging to that Age. Uh, this is why we find prophets like Silas, uh, described as a prophet, accompanying Paul in writing several of the, the letters that are part of the Scriptures. Uh, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers will all build on that foundation using those Scriptures. Uh, the apostles and prophets were called to lay that foundation by writing those Scriptures. Since that is then the case... We may conclude that the the unique call of prophets in the New Testament age was given for a purpose that properly belongs to that age. And we should not then be surprised to find that God does not still call prophets uh, that that unique office of, of prophet for the church today. Uh, We may think about it this way. During the whole of the Old Testament age, the book of Scripture was still being written over that period of uh, around 2,000 years that that formed the bulk of the the Old Testament. The Scriptures were being written. Uh, So also in the first years of the New Testament... But then at the close of the New Testament age, uh, the last book to be written, the book of Revelation, closes with these words, uh, Revelation 22, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Uh, Scripture ends with a command not to add to Scripture. It is finished. Enough has been written. It shouldn't surprise us then that since that day, not a single book of Scripture has ever been written. Uh, The Christian church has recognized from that day forward, the foundation is laid, we are now called to grow and to build on that foundation. Uh, We are to preach the gospel that's written in the scriptures. uh, And we are to continue the work of Pentecost, gathering the nations using the scriptures given to us by the apostles and prophets. So what does all this mean for the church today? In the first place, it's important to point out what we're not concluding. Uh, We are not saying that God cannot or God does not ever speak to individuals directly. God might do that. Uh, There are credible reports of God doing such a thing. We don't put God in a box and say, God God cannot do uh, such a thing. Uh, The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and God often prompts us in in certain ways. And we can recognize those as the promptings of, of God. Uh, Similarly, uh, if if you speak to many converts from Islam, many of them, indeed the majority of them, uh, will speak of dreams that they had that led them to to the Christian faith. Some of them even prophetic uh, dreams that are are quite incredible. Uh, So we're not saying God cannot or does not ever speak in such ways. Uh, likewise, also, God might lead us as, as we study the Scriptures. We recognize that's something the prophets experienced and it's something God still does. He, he leads us with His Spirit as we study the Scriptures. That's why we pray for the Spirit's leading also in, in, in church. Uh, and, and so there, there's a certain prophetic element there as God leads us through the Scriptures. However, at the same time, the scriptural evidence would lead us to conclude that that particular unique office of prophet in the New Testament is not something that we should expect to see in the church today. Now, we do confess uh, that every Christian is anointed with Christ, uh, in all of his offices, which is prophet, priest, and king. So that does include uh, prophet. Uh, so we may acknowledge that, yes, on, on one level, every believer is called by God as a, a prophet, called to testify to the Word of God as the prophets uh, of old uh, have always done. Uh, But we also recognize there's something unique about the the status of prophet in the New Testament because certain believers are singled out as this man, this woman, was also a a prophet. That's unique. Uh, That's a unique office uh, in in the church. Uh, And their task was to speak what God had directly revealed to them uh, for the purpose of writing the Scriptures that calling we have every reason to believe uh, is no longer present in the church. Uh, so even though God may speak to us in, in uh, unique ways, though God may prompt us through through the Spirit, uh, we can recognize those as the the operations of a sovereign God uh, who does what He pleases. Uh, but here's the difference: we do not today claim for ourselves, as the prophets of the Old and New Testament did, uh, the voice and the authority of God. It's a huge difference. We do not say, thus says the Lord, or this is what God told me. As the prophets of old did. Uh, Unless we're appealing to Scripture, we cannot say, thus says the Lord. Uh, We recognize there's a a categorical difference there uh, between the promptings of the Spirit uh, or or the leading of our lives by God's hand uh, and the formal calling of a prophet as we see in Scripture. Uh, Here's a point of application then. Uh, This means that when God does uh, lead us or speak to us or prompt us in certain ways, uh, we do not and ought not claim for ourselves the authority of God in these things unless we are appealing to the recognized words of God revealed in Scripture. Uh, So we might well say, uh, I'm feeling led by God. To do such and such. Or uh, uh, I sense that God is prompting me to to do such and such. Or I had a dream and I wonder whether God is teaching me something through it. Uh, We might say all of those things. But we ought not and may not say uh, what is commonplace in many Christian circles today. uh, Where God told me this. uh, Or God is, is, is telling me or God is leading me to do this. Uh, By so saying, you claim for yourself the authority of God. Uh, Unless you can be truly confident without a doubt that it is God himself, uh, you cannot say, thus says the Lord. Uh, That is not something to treat lightly. It's not without reason that Scripture speaks very strongly uh, of the existence of false prophets. Uh, In the New Testament age as well, Scripture speaks of this. Uh, And this should cause anyone who thinks that God is speaking to him uh, to to have great caution. Uh, There is such a thing as a false prophet also today. Uh, There is such a thing as a man who's deluded, who thinks that God is speaking, uh, and God is not speaking to him. Uh, In Matthew 7, the Lord Jesus himself says, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, there is such a thing in the New Testament age as well as a false prophet, one who thinks that he is prophesying, who thinks that God is speaking through him, and who is deceived. Uh, the scriptures contain dozens, dozens of, of condemnations for such false Prophets. Just to cite a few. Uh, Jeremiah 14. The Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. jeremiah twenty three verse sixteen thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the lord again jeremiah twenty three twenty one I did not send these prophets yet they ran, I did not speak to them yet they prophesied uh, one more here 's an interesting one jeremiah twenty three verse thirty three uh, the background for this is the word for oracle, an oracle, a prophetic oracle in, in Hebrew, is happens to be the same word as the word for a burden. Uh, so there's a play on words here uh, where God says through Jeremiah, when one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden, and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the oracle of the Lord Uh, I will punish that man and his household. Thus shall you say, everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? What has the Lord spoken? But the oracle of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the oracle is now every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Very strong words God speaks against those who claim to speak under His authority. And we see the same in the New Testament. Uh, The words of the Lord Jesus, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, Even if someone believes that God is speaking through them, they must approach that with the utmost caution. It is no small thing to claim for oneself the authority of God or to say that God has spoken through you. Uh, and more often than not, what's really happening is that person is seeking the stamp of God's approval on their own opinion or their own conviction. Uh, and if you're doing that, what you're doing is raising your credibility at the expense of God's credibility, or in other words, taking the name the Lord's name in vain. Uh, we may never say, "Thus says the Lord," unless indeed it is the Lord who has spoken. Uh, this brings us to a, a second point of application for the present day. Uh, when we do encounter this, uh, when we do encounter individuals who claim for themselves the authority of God, the command from the scriptures uh, is not to, on the one hand, automatically believe them, nor, on the other hand, to simply ignore them, but rather to test them to weigh them, uh, to weigh prophecies. And, th- and that is a command of God. It's, it's in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, as well as 1 John 4, verse 1. Uh, and here's the thing. When you test things and when you weigh things, you also come back with results. That's the whole point of, of testing something. Uh, and, and whatever results you get, there will be consequences one way or another. Uh, Scripture, Old and New Testament alike, uh, give us very clear rules by which to do this testing. Uh, already back in, in Deuteronomy, we read some of the rules that God gave through Moses concerning those who claim to be prophets. Uh, and there are two primary tests that, that prophecies are subjected to. Uh, number one, if a prophet says anything in contradiction with Scripture, he's a false prophet, and the command of the Old Testament was he's to be put to, to death for speaking against Scripture. Uh, And number two, as we read in Deuteronomy uh, a moment ago, if the prophet foretells something that does not come to pass, uh, then he is a false prophet uh, and people are not to listen to him. Now, those are simple rules. But just with those two simple rules, uh, if we simply exercised those we could go a long ways in discerning many contemporary so-called prophets. Now, if someone claims that God has spoken through him, uh, and he turns out to be wrong, either because he spoke against the Scriptures, or he spoke something that did not come to pass, uh, then that person is to be rebuked uh, and called to repentance and absolutely forbidden from ever speaking in the name of the Lord again. That's the scriptural rule. Uh, He is a false prophet. He is forbidden from speaking in the name of the Lord. Uh, So... Often it happens that someone says, well, I think God is... Te- well, you, if, it's one thing to say, I think God is, is telling me something, or I think God is leading. But if someone says, God is telling me this, uh, and so claiming for themselves the authority of God, uh, and then it turns out that what they thought God was telling them did not come to pass or was not true, uh, well, then God wasn't telling you that, and you shouldn't have claimed His authority authority. And by doing so, you make yourself into a false prophet. Uh, in the Old Testament, the consequences for that were, were very serious. And at least in the New Testament, such sin should be admonished and forbidden. Uh, that person should not be permitted to speak in the name of God again. Now, if this, if, if these two biblical, simple rules were followed... Uh, it, in churches today, a great deal of evil and abuse uh, would be dealt with uh, immediately. Uh, I've heard of cases where, where some have said, well, God told me that, that such and such an individual is going to die this year, uh, and that person is informed of that uh, prophecy, and it doesn't come to pass, and there's no consequences for the one who claimed to prophesy. That ought not to be so. Uh, they have made themselves into a false prophet and, and should be prohibited. Prohibited. From speaking in God's name. Again, this is uh, something that should not be taken lightly. It is a grievous sin against God to abuse uh, His name, and it's one that, unless repented of, leads to, to condemnation. Uh, God takes very seriously the abuse of His name. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago concerning the speaking of uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, there, there are many churches that tolerate that practice in an unbiblical manner, violating rules that Scripture itself has has given, uh, such as there ought to always be interpretation uh, and other other rules. Uh, if that's the case, we already have plenty enough reason to question whether someone who claims there to prophesy is indeed speaking from the Lord. If you will not submit to the word of God revealed in the Scriptures, why should one believe that you speak the words of God revealed directly to you? Uh, That may sound harsh, but that's the command of Scripture. Test the spirits. Don't be fooled. Don't be naive. Uh, So, brothers and sisters, our calling to is to consider and and understand the scriptures and also understand our own times. Our calling today is to tremble at the word of God and not to fear the fear of man. Uh, We have good reason then to believe that that prophecy was given for that age and not meant to continue forever. We should not be uh, cowed into into believing that this should continue to happen in the church today. Uh, What was needed in that age... What is not needed in ours. With that being said then, we can conclude on this point. What the Spirit has given us is certainly sufficient for our age. Uh, with that in mind, I want to read just once more from the, the Catechism's brief description of the work of the, the Spirit today. Uh, it's, it's very short, uh, and yet it beautifully summarizes what we should expect from the Spirit today. Now the Catechism says, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is together with the Father and Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me, to do what? To make me by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. That you can certainly expect the Spirit to continue to do today. Uh, So let us, for our part, serve Christ and his kingdom with the gifts that Christ has given us, and especially that faith, hope, and love that Paul himself says are the gifts that are meant to abide forever. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 48.